So a couple things to take care of first. I know, again, she doesn't like it when I do this, but all the work that goes into making this worship service flow, <clears throat> the timing, uh, she doesn't like it, but she, the worship team, along with Megan's leadership, does a great job picking the right music. <clears throat> See, you don't have the benefit of knowing how good the music is connected to the message until I start preaching. <clears throat> but um, having um, a worship team that is led so well theologically, uh, organizationally, artistically, the whole team does a great job, and we're so thankful for them. Uh, they're going to crush it in the new building, aren't they? Which brings me to my next thing. Last night was the last ministry event in our Swift Road campus. We start moving tomorrow from Swift Road. Tomorrow the movers are going to be there. You can clap if you want because you're not moving boxes, but you know. Um, and then uh, in a few weeks, we'll wind up, on, we'll wind up ministry at 1900 uh, and also here at 1923 Wrangling. And then we'll all come together uh, at uh, North Lockwood and 17th. A lot still going on there. Uh, if you haven't uh, rolled up your sleeves yet, or as CN said, dug deep, <laughs> there's plenty of opportunity for both, trust me. So we're excited about it. It's going to be a great opportunity uh, to be in that neighborhood. <clears throat> um, we're continuing our series on Revelation. This is week five, Faith That Conquers. So... Every follower of Jesus has wondered at one time or another if they would have what it takes to stand up to real persecution, especially when you read, maybe even out of context, a verse or two in Revelation. Wow, could I handle that? So what happens is we begin to imagine the scenarios in our life if we were ever forced to choose between our faith and our lives, or maybe even choose between our faith and our family and friends' lives. And it is a hypothetical situation, of course, that Americans, frankly, can't really answer since we don't face that kind of persecution and likely never will unless God calls us to another country as a missionary or something like that. But we have it pretty easy here. That's what makes today's passage so difficult to preach. It's a situation none of us in this room are ever likely to face. Honestly, I'll tell you, it is much easier for me to preach about sin in the church because we can relate to that, right? Especially at Grace Life. <laughs> However, Jesus doesn't do that in his letter to the church at Smyrna. It's only one of two letters where Jesus doesn't say anything about what he has against the church. It's only, you are fantastic at this and you will overcome. So let's look at the passage in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And to the angel in the church in Smyrna write, that's Jesus commanding John, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Just so you understand what that is. That is an important declaration about what Jesus is getting ready to say. He has the authority to say it. So he says, I'm starting off, Tell them this, I am the first and the last who died and came to life. So what I have to say means something. I am sovereign. And he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. The slander of those who say that they are Jews, but are not. 
but are a synagogue of Satan. That's harsh. We'll get to that later. What he means. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There was a lot of suffering in Smyrna. And I want you to understand why this region was known for worshiping Caesar. Smyrna was a region in Asia Minor, again, modern-day Turkey, that was extremely loyal to Caesar, fully embracing this idea of worshiping Caesar, which was one of his decrees, by the way, you'll worship me before your own gods. Worship of any other kind before Caesar was punishable by prison or death, anywhere in the range of those, depending upon the zealousness of the local authorities. Here's what would happen in Smyrna. In Smyrna, there was an official event. Each year, all of its citizens were required to come together and burn incense on the altar of Caesar. And once you did that, you were given a certificate to prove that you had done this. And if you didn't have that certificate, proving that you had worshipped Caesar, and you were caught worshipping other deities, you risked financial ruin, prison, and even death. This is part of something we will learn about later, by the way, in our series when we talk about the mark of the beast. This is part of it. A lot of people think of this mark of the beast as something future like a computer chip or something like that. No, it was this. Since Smyrna was the region's most loyal to Caesar worship, enforcement was particularly widespread and very harsh. Now, in the first century, Jews were exempt from mandatory Caesar worship a concession that was given to keep the peace in Jewish provinces. And since Rome saw Christianity as an offshoot of Judaism, early on the church benefited from this exemption as well. But as oppressive Roman rule expanded, the animosity between Jews and Caesar grew, and it led to a series of revolts against Rome that we've talked about. One of them Jesus predicted, if you remember, The Caesar worship exemption ended with the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And from that point on, there was intense Roman persecution, not just of Jews, but of Christians as well. And because of this, there was a lot of resentment for Christians, and let me explain why. Remember when Jesus predicted that the siege would happen in 70 AD, and he warned Christians, when Rome comes, flee Jerusalem, run to the hills, This prophecy was a central component of all gospel preaching from about 33 AD until it happened. That stunning moment that everything that Jesus said about the fall of the temple and about how you need to run, while everybody else is running to Jerusalem for for protection, you run away. It was part of the gospel preaching. Christians heeded those warnings and avoided the slaughter. That story served as an incredible affirmation of, wow, what the apostles say is true, the gospel is real. And after 70 AD, the story of what happened was repeated over and over again in in the teachings of the church. Do you remember what Jesus predicted? Remember how we ran and God saved us from that? See, you better listen to the words of Jesus. It gave the gospel credibility as it spread. Of course, hearing this story constantly 
created Jewish resentment toward Christians who had, in their mind, abandoned the fight against evil Rome. <clears throat> it was an intense cultural, political, ideological resentment. How can you say that you are of God's people when you abandon Jerusalem at its darkest hour? You're not loyal to God or Israel. Now, many in the synagogues in Smyrna actually took the Caesar worship certificate. And they resented the Christians who refused to do the same. Remember, we talked about that in our study of First and Second Peter, that persecution they were facing and how they were supposed to respond to that persecution. What happened is these, these Jews in these synagogues who had accepted the Caesar worship certificate became accusers of Christians. That's what Satan is. That's what his name means. It means accusers. That's what Jesus means when he says these are synagogues of Satan. These are synagogues of accusers. They would turn Christians in to Roman authorities. See, they had compromised worshiping God. And if they had to do it, then you Christians should do it too, especially since you didn't fight with us in 70 AD. So as a result, the Christians in Smyrna worshiped in intense fear. Churches in other regions faced these similar pressures, and we will discover as we go through the rest of the letters in Revelation, many of them gave in to one degree or another. <clears throat> they compromised theologically. They certainly compromised their morality. Even their worship became mingled with immoral, sensual practices in pagan temples. All of this to fit in. Many of these churches had been infiltrated by that group we learned about last week, the Nicolaitans, false teachers, and others who weren't even really of the faith but acted like it. In fact, those other churches became so full of unbelievers, it became difficult to tell the church apart from the rest of culture and society. But Smyrna was different. The church in Smyrna was true and faithful. They were inspired and empowered to stand firm against these threats, this persecution. And that because of that, any gathering of Christians in Smyrna could be broken up at any moment by Roman soldiers if Jews got word of it and turned them in. It could be, literally, every time they got together, the last time they ever met. And as synagogues turned Christians in, these Christians would face financial ruin, life in prison, or even death because they had not received or taken the Caesar worship certificate. There is a description in Hebrews of the consequences of their faithfulness in Smyrna, the death, the suffering, the poverty. You ready? This is, this is amazing. Just look at this. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, translation homeless, in dens and caves of the earth. This is the life they chose rather than to accept a worship certificate of Caesar. Let's look at the spiritual section of this, the theological side of what we're getting ready to study today. There's this 10 days in prison, this 10 days of testing. What does that mean? This letter from heaven to the seven churches, this one particular to Smyrna, is different from the other letters. It doesn't have any rebuke or any correction. 
Jesus affirms their faithfulness and warns that not only have you been faithful, but your suffering will get worse. But then he inspires them with supernatural steadfastness and stability, as we know in our study from 2 Peter, are some of the examples of things that should be in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus warns them, the devil will put you in prison and test you for 10 days. There are many interpretations of what this 10 days means. It is definitely a reference to Daniel chapter 1, 11 through 16. Daniel and his friends are persecuted for 10 days and tested. It reminds us that persecution is better than worshiping idols. But context gives us some clues that this is also an another incredibly accurate prophetic statement by our Jesus that should give you encouragement that the gospel is real. It is about 10, what would come, 10 distinct decrees against Christianity. And here they are. Nero was first. Domitian, I know you want me to go through and try to say all these Caesar names, but I'm not going to, okay? You see that there are 10 different actual decrees that made Christianity illegal. The last one, Diocletian, ended in 313. That was the worst one. Ten specific moments where you would be tested for ten days, Jesus says. This was the prophecy he was referring to. So for the next 100 or 200 years, this is what he says was coming. These are the periods of persecution that Jesus is prophesying about. Isn't that something? Just as amazing as the prophecy of the temple falling and the invasion of Jerusalem in 70 AD when he says, run for the hills, don't go to the city, he says, listen, you've been faithful, but it's not going to get easier. There will be 10 days of testing. This is it. This is, in fact, the same thing Jesus warned his disciples about in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember? That is the foundation. The Sermon on the Mount is 80% of the foundation of what Revelation is all about. Matthew 24, 9 and 10. Here's what Jesus says. Then they will deliver you up for, to tribulation, put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is why John said in chapter 1 of Revelation, I am your partner in the tribulation. The tribulation wasn't something future to come. It was happening right then and right now. And the believers in Smyrna who refused to accept the Caesar worship certificate lived in obedience in every other area of their life. That was the command Peter gave to them and us, frankly, in his first letter. To live in submission to Rome except for the worship of Caesar. Now look, the church in Smyrna wasn't perfect. Of course not. But they didn't fold to Caesar they didn't fold to false teachers who claimed to be apostles and weren't. They didn't fold to pagan culture. They didn't accept Caesar worship certificates. They didn't compromise with the sea of paganism that was around them. They didn't sacrifice faithfulness for financial security, cultural influence, politics, or even patriotism and love of country. Jesus promises them their faith will persevere and though they may die, they will not be hurt by the second death. Just so you know what the second death is, this is what awaits those who are without faith. Eternal judgment for anyone who's not written in the book of life. 
more on that later. But this isn't just encouragement for Smyrna. It is also a promise. Now, it may seem like it is a conditional promise. Now, Smyrna, if you stay faithful, then you'll have eternal life and you won't be hurt by the second death. No, it is not conditional. Smyrna, you will persevere. No matter what may happen, Jesus will hold the seven stars from Revelation chapter 1. Jesus will hold those seven stars in his hands. And it's also, by the way, a warning to the enemy, the accuser, that he will not destroy Smyrna and he cannot destroy us. It's very much like the story of Job. Now, the accuser will face the second death, but we won't. It's deep theology here in this little short letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, the question is, why did God not have any criticism for Smyrna? And the other question, why would God even allow them to face this level of persecution? It seems like a waste of time, right? See, their faithfulness in the face of this severe persecution revealed them to be a church full of God's people with divine faith. Smyrna passed the test because they had ears to hear and follow the voice of the great shepherd. My sheep know me and hear my voice and they follow me. <clears throat> what about us? What are we supposed to do with this theology and this history about the church of Smyrna? Well, we are the ones who conquer. This was the sermon preview this week. I asked this question this week and not many of you liked it. I don't know why. <clears throat> if forced to choose between following Jesus or your life, your family or friends' lives, would your faith persevere? Again, since the American church will likely never face this Smyrna-type persecution, we actually miss out on quite a bit. I know that sounds odd, but it's true. Listen, the American, let me just tell you, in case you're confused, the American church is not persecuted. And let me explain. Losing cultural influence, losing political power, that is not persecution. Many churches in the world actually face severe Smyrna-like persecution. The church in China, the church in the Middle East, the church in Russia... Did you know that churches in these countries, get this, this is fact, the churches in these countries see 150,000 people a year martyred because they won't abandon their faith at the government's command. They have seen evidence their faith is real. Those churches are actually persevering through the greatest threat this world has to offer, losing your life. You know, the church in China, for example, has a much deeper understanding of this letter to Smyrna than we could ever imagine. This letter to Smyrna is existential and personal and real to the church in China. It is why you will often hear foreign missionaries say that they are praying for the American church. You know why? Because our faith isn't nearly as tested as theirs. What does James say? Count it a joy and a privilege when your faith is tested. Because then you know it's real. Now, our faith is tested in other more subtle ways 
We are still today in America, even though we're free from most persecution, we are tempted to compromise our faith and our loyalty to the royal priesthood all the time, are we not? For us, our faithfulness is tested against our desire for financial success. You know where else our faith and our loyalty to the royal priesthood is tested? Our passion for politics. You know where else? Don't get mad at me. Our, loyal, our loyalty to the royal priesthood is also tested in our patriotism sometimes. Nothing wrong with patriotism, but the royal priesthood is always first. You know where else we're tempted to abandon and make the royal priesthood secondary? Is what we call culture wars. So we are tested. And we have to make sure that our faith is real enough to pass that test and not compromise our commitment to the kingdom of heaven that is when? Now. Now, the second death, this is a little problematic. You know where this comes from. This is actually a foreshadowing of what John is going to write that Jesus gave him in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. This is just one example. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars... Okay, just in case you weren't any of the other ones, you're definitely that last one, right? <laughs> Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm sorry, I had to read that so you'd understand. While we don't do much hellfire preaching at Grace Life, it's not kind of our MO, make no mistake, the second death is a central teaching of Jesus. You can deny it if you want, but Jesus said it. Many today will avoid, ignore, or flat out deny entirely the theology and the teachings of Jesus about hell, judgment, and the second death. You know, maybe, maybe that's why Revelation really isn't preached often from cover to cover. <laughs> because the second death is a huge theme. You cannot avoid References to the second death throughout Revelation. But that's for another day. <laughs> There's also another recurring theme right alongside of the theme of the second death in Revelation. And it's the one that Jesus talks about today, overcoming the second death. That's what today's passage is about. By the way, in case you haven't picked up the word conquer, overcome, you know what word that is, right? The one we studied last week? Nikao, Nike to conquer, to get the victory. It's the same word. There's a reason. It's beautiful literary excellence. Look at this passage from 1 John chapter 5, the same author, by the way. Look at this one. You're going to love it. Everyone who has been born of God, nikao, overcomes the world. And this is the victory, nikao, that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is he that Nikao overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What overcomes the world? Our faith. Jesus says, to him who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. So question, who gets credit for Smyrna's faithfulness? Who gets credit for the church in China when they're faithful? What about the church in Iran when they're faithful? Who gets credit for their faithfulness? Are they just special, supernatural people? No. It's sovereign Jesus who began the letter with this. 
Tell them these are the words of the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. Tell them these are the words of the one who has the authority to say it. See how John describes why Smyrna would conquer and remain faithful? Why anyone else with real faith will do the same? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The same faith that they had that was given to them, faith is a? That's correct. The same people that were given the gift of faith then, it's the same gift of faith that God has given to us, Ephesians 2. So in that respect, the letter to the church in Smyrna can be read as a letter to us. Because I will tell you, Satan, the accuser, would love for just one believer's faith to not overcome. Just one. That's all he needs. One believer's faith to falter. Just one believer's faith to fail. doesn't mean that they don't sin. I'm talking about where faith fails. You know what that would mean if one believer's faith failed? You know what that means? It happens. Here's what it means. That all the seven stars in Jesus' hand would be hurt by the second death. It means Jesus can't hold on to them. That the enemy has something more powerful than the hands of Jesus who says, no man can take them out of my hands. Written by who? John, after he wrote Revelation. It means evil would be more powerful than our Jesus. The Jesus that John saw in Revelation chapter 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his hands, he will keep us faithful. Even when we would not be faithful, he will keep us faithful. Because true faith will conquer. True faith will not give in. Do you wonder if you could stand? If you are a child of God, yes, you would. True faith will assure that our Jesus remains our most precious thing. If you have an ear that hears the good shepherd and you can hear his voice, today I want you to listen well to this letter because it promises things that are for you. If you have an ear that hears the great shepherd's voice, our faith will be completed by Jesus on the day he returns. If you have an ear that hears the voice of the great shepherd, you cannot be hurt by the second death. If you have an ear that hears the voice of the great shepherd, fear not, you will be faithful when you are persecuted. If you have an ear that hears the great shepherd's voice, the enemy, the great accuser, cannot get to you. This is what you should hear if you know Jesus. If you have an ear to hear the great shepherd's voice, here's what you should hear. Don't be afraid of the second death. You will overcome. You will persevere. You will not be hurt on the day that all evil is revealed and purged from creation. Remember our study from 2 Peter. Even if we are persecuted for 10 days, we will remain sealed like the seven stars in the hands of Jesus and evil is powerless to pry his hands open and take us from them. That's why this verse in Paul's letter to Jude, that I'm going to read you in a moment, became the most, or maybe one of the most important repeated creeds in the early church throughout the first, second, and third century. 
This is why. Let's read it together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oh, isn't that a great promise? And present you blameless before the presence of his glory. That's another good one. With great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever, the first and the last. Amen? Isn't that a great they call it the doxology. It is a creed the first century said, you know what? The first century church, the second century church, the third century church, when things got bad, where did they go? They went to Revelation. They went to Jude 24 and 25. Let's read it again. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Remember the first part of today's passage? The words first and the last, do you see the similarities? Man, I'll just tell you, if you want to overcome the second death, this is where it happens. If you want to be in the grip of the hands of the one who holds the seven stars, the first and the last, you know where it starts? The gift of faith. And where does the gift of faith come? Well, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They know me and they follow me. Can you hear the great shepherd's voice? If you can, and you've been given the gift of faith, you cannot be hurt by the second death. Jesus, we are, and we say this in the midst of being people who struggle with sin on a daily basis, we are amazed of the promises that we will Nikao, Nike, that we will overcome. Frankly, on a natural foundation of who we are and all of our struggles, we are not overcomers. But through the gift of faith, when we become those who hear your voice and follow you, even if we face 10 days of testing, your word promises us that you began the good work, you will complete it, and you will keep us. You will present us blameless before the presence of the glory of the throne. And we don't know when that will be. We hope soon. <laughs> but until then, the sheep that can hear your voice can rest easy knowing that we cannot be hurt by the second death. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. We love you. We're excited about what's happening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>